Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Friday. It's January the 26th. Happy Friday to all of you out there. It normally would be a friendly Friday, but uh, it is a decidedly unfriendly Friday because my buddy Steve is on the road. He's traveling, and uh, he doesn't sound real thrilled about it. He's got a speaking engagement, then he's going to rush to the airport, and we hope that he makes it uh, Godspeed and safe travels, Steve friend, our buddy. So... Without that, what I decided to do was just jam-packed, I don't know, like an hour and a half show into a one-hour show. We'll see how that works. We may run a little bit long today. I've got some stuff that is going to make you cringe. I have the much-awaited dad jokes. They are sitting on standby. I hopefully will not forget at the end of this uh, show. We'll make sure we get them out there. We got some stuff from Will Ferrell and from um, from Mark Wahlberg, which is pretty charming. So I'm teeing that up for you up front. The dad jokes have been lacking for the last couple days. And, yeah, we're going to get talking about standing with Texas. For the Kyle Serafin Show, we stand in Texas. We are physically in the state of Texas. And I know that Greg Abbott is not perfect. There's no question about that. He's not what you would choose as the ideal anything. But he's making a stand. And if you follow this podcast for any period of time, you know that one of the things that I've advocated is a 10th Amendment revolution. I started this thing up. Uh, and I brought it up to Dan Bongino yesterday, and he was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Look, the idea is is that the 10th Amendment takes all the powers that are not explicitly laid out for the federal government, and it puts them right where they belong, with the state. And it says it in the explicit language. It was part of the founding compromise between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists, allowing this thing to happen. Otherwise, we have no U.S. Constitution. People aren't going to sign on to it. So the Bill of Rights was specifically set up, and most people just ignore it. I mean, most people ignore the ninth and the 10th. People get excited about the first and the second and the fourth and maybe the fifth if they're a criminal or they like due process, the eighth if they think they're going to get punished, right? Everybody has kind of a favorite little amendment. People forget about the third. That's a big deal, the quartering act <laughs> or the response to the quartering act. And the 10th is massive. It's a massive, massive power that we've sort of allowed to lapse. So I think this is the first pushback. And it's because we're in a time unlike any other. There's some comparisons on the left right now stating what they believe uh, is going on in Texas and what they think that the, the Biden administration should do to respond. And uh, I think they're all wrong, but luckily we're going to cover that for you guys today. Uh, a little bit of reporting out of our friends over at Catholic Vote. Let me go ahead and throw them on the screen real quick. Folks, if you're not getting the loop, this is what you're missing out on today. Uh, just go to catholicvote.org and sign up for the loop. Make sure you're getting this email feed, which is fantastic. And from the Catholic Vote news feed, they've got their own reporters doing uh, both independent pieces and covering sort of the, the aggregate news thing. A little piece about the half of the governors in the United States are now issuing statements in support of Greg Abbott. I'm just looking right here on my phone. This is the loop. I get it every day, and I always check it out. What do we got here? Uh, quote, the Biden administration, President Biden and his administration have left Americans and our country completely vulnerable to unprecedented illegal immigration pouring in across the southern border. Instead of upholding the rule of law and securing the border, the Biden administration has attacked and sued Texas for stepping up to protect American citizens from historic levels of illegal immigration, deadly drugs like fentanyl, and terrorists entering our country. If you guys want to get more of that, make sure you're checking out The Loop. We're obviously going to cover that story specifically, but uh, there are plenty more in there, and there's plenty of good information in the fight for faith, family, and freedom. Catholic Vote, they are my friends, uh, and they gave me a little award for it. Uh, as, as strange as it was, I actually got an email yesterday from Brian Birch, who's the president of Catholic Vote, and it said, Hey, Kyle. 
I invited a former federal agent to our retreat. And I was like, oh, that's me. <laughs> it's like, you may know him as Kyle Serafin. And I was like, I do. I do know that guy. I sure do. Uh, very strange to see yourself in, in print in that way. Let me just say that. Um, but I'm really grateful for their support. And they made this podcast something that has been out there. We had a huge boost uh, yesterday, we had over 2,000 of you watching with Garrett O'Boyle talking about the pipe bomb. I highly recommend you go back and look at that. Let me make a couple of clarifications. Some people said, hey, I got I got emails from you. That's why I'm saying this. Some people said, hey, uh, we know who that guy is, the chief master sergeant of the Air Force. Um, th there's only like one guy that did that that was black. It's like, yeah, no, no. I meant a chief master sergeant who used to be in the Air Force. There are many, many chiefs in the Air Force. There's only one chief master sergeant of the Air Force. I'm not talking about that guy. And, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of honing in on what I think was going on there. If you didn't hear the space that we did, I was invited by uh, Representative Thomas Massey to be on a Twitter space. We did two hours yesterday with Darren Beatty from Revolver News, and we talked pipe bomber stuff. And I think we dropped some knowledge on the congressman that he hadn't previously heard. So that's really helpful. I've got a call set up with them at some point in the near future. We're going to talk about a couple of other things that probably didn't go into members of Congress. We don't know what they understand. Like, they're just people, you know. They are. They're just regular people that are in an elected position, and then uh, you know some of them do better and worse at it, but they've got limited attention spans, just like all of you, just like me. There's only so much you can take in, and they're trying to do a job. Most of them actually have you know real responsibilities as well in their life and their families and their and their businesses, whatever it is. Some of them actually have real businesses. Tom Massey actually sent me a DM the other day, and he said, uh, hey, I'd love to uh, talk with you later, but right now I've got some cattle that have escaped, and so I'm going to go round them up. They're like on their own recognizance running around. So let it be known. We've got to just, we got to give them a little bit of grace. They're going to be imperfect. But as a, uh, a the priest who chaired the masses and, and, put, and said the masses while I was at this Catholic retreat said, there's been an awful lot of darkness for a very, very long time. And I think we're, we're, we're swinging back. I've gotten a couple of messages from you that are very, very positive and optimistic. People are feeling that sense. It doesn't mean that we're winning. It doesn't even mean that we're going to win. It just means that we're, we're staging the stand. And that's all we can really ask for. And I think Greg Abbott is actually a big part of it. I think um, I think that's what it comes down to, is that we're currently experiencing the beginning of that pendulum swing. And hopefully, hopefully it swings all the way. But even if not, we're going to give it a strong push, push here. Okay, so let's, let's do the first uh, story. You know I always go to CNN's homepage. I want to know what the narrative is. It's always really funny when the, uh, the mainstream leftist press doesn't agree with each other. That's my favorite. I don't know why, but I like watching it. So here we go. This is uh, this is CNN's take. They started off, this is actually, if you look on the screen, you're seeing uh, Trump's impatience is creating political risk for his campaign. So that's the, that's the homepage. That's the main thing they want you to click on. And then you get down to their analysis pieces. And I always like to go to Steven uh, Collison's piece because I just think he's unhinged. So here he is. Trump is flexing strongman power in the GOP. Ooh, he's strongman power. I mean, is Trump doing anything other than what Trump does? By the way, if you can actually read the small print that would be on the screen, that video that you saw, that's Trump walking across the screen. I, I grabbed a good screenshot of it. I like the way it looks. Uh, but S.E. Cup says, Tim Scott is, is an example of Trump's emasculization. Emasculation, rather, of the GOP. Really? That's what that is? It's just so bizarre. Um, CNN, once again, their analysis piece. This is their unbiased take, the unvarnished uh, reality that they believe is actually happening in the world. Donald Trump is moving to assert total dominance over the Republican Party in a harbinger of the strongman rule he envisions for his possible second term. What are they saying? What is he saying here? He says explicitly 
that the way that Donald Trump is basically pushing his way around and, and, and running the GOP is the way that he might run the country. You know how we know that that's not the case? We already know that because Donald Trump actually was in charge of the country for four years. And he didn't do strongman tactics. And for all of the crying and the freakouts and the, the leftist tears that were being collected during that four-year period, you know, he was a pretty decent president. He was actually spent a lot of money, which the left usually loves. Pretty strange. We're actually going to talk about why the swing back and talking about all this kind of strongman tactics, they fall completely flat. We've got a, a piece from The Atlantic going back to 2020, right at the exact time, right at the exact time when they were worried about Trump doing his strongman thing. And as you know, there was no national lockdown on the COVID policy. He didn't overstep the boundaries of the federal government's normal authorities. He actually respected what the 10th Amendment says. They make a 10th Amendment argument going all the way back to 2020 in the beginning of the year when there was a, a, a hope for national lockdowns on the left. They were like hoping and hating it at the same time, because if they did a lockdown, then they could complain about whether or not he was a tyrant. But if he didn't do the lockdown, they could celebrate that there was a failure of the covid policy. If it didn't work, it's, it's all ugly and stupid. Um, anyhow, this is the uh, the second paragraph, which is fun. The ex-president is trying to intimidate Nikki Haley into abandoning the GOP presidential race. No, that's not what's happening. <laughs> Let's just take it right there. He's warning donors who contribute to the former South Carolina governor that they'll be ostracized. That seems reasonable too. You know why? Because if you're giving money to Nikki Haley, you're stupid. Let's just say it very, very plainly. What do we like to say here on the show? Uh, it's retarded to give money to a candidate who is polling as low as she's going to, who doesn't have the support of the base, and who is basically running a race that is 20 years out of touch. I'm sure that Nikki Haley would love to relitigate the Iraq war, but that time has passed. There's no time for quote unquote compassionate conservatism. There's only being conservative. There's only just pushing the needle, or you could try to tack down the middle and be the leftist hope. Like I said, if Nikki Haley gets the general, uh, the general spot for the, for the GOP, if she's able to be in charge in the, in the primary, and, and charge forward. And, and the only way that happens, by the way, is Donald Trump gets knocked out. So I think Dan Bongino said it the other day best, the air and the spare strategy, the idea that she's going to just stick around hoping, kind of hoping against hope that Donald Trump has some sort of stumbling block and can't, can't continue onward. If that's the case, then she thinks she might be able to slide into second place. But we need to have the Ricky Bobby attitude. If you ain't first, you're last. There's a number of things where that should make sense. If you ain't first, you're last. No, no more of this. This, uh, you know, what does Dan say? Cutesy time is over. I love it because it only rings true because he probably said that on the street to somebody as a cop. It's just basic street talk. If you look at some of the talking heads, I had this this uh, this thought the other day. Some of the talking heads out there, the reason they don't connect with people is because none of them had real jobs. I was talking to a guy named Mark Naughton, and some of you may know Mark Naughton. He's on Twitter as well. Um, again, I'm, I'm making multiple plugs that you guys get on Twitter X, mostly because the leftists are there. Uh, we are there. And the battleground is is where it happens. There's lots and lots of, of interaction, and you can find the things that the crazies are saying, and you can push back against them in real time. Like, why are we not engaging them? It's not their territory anymore. There's certainly some leftist policies that are running what's going on. But the fact of the matter is, is you don't get a lot of truth out of these people who have nothing but media experience in their whole life. I don't know why I have such a distaste for it, but maybe it's because I had real jobs. I ran restaurants. I waited tables. Like I busted my ass on New Year's Eve and got way behind and had stacks and stacks of food where we screwed it up. We just blew it. And it's awful. It's really, really hard doing some things in the service industry when you fail. And I've also done, you know, ditch digging. I helped my friend dig a freaking pool out and I moved every single shovel full of dirt from that pool 
with a little tiny T100 pickup truck that I borrowed from one of my buddies and dumped it off at the ditch. Like, if you don't have real experiences, if, you're, if your hands have never had calluses as a man, I don't know that you can actually go out there and connect with real people. And that's what Dan does. That's why Dan is so successful. I think that's why some people are coming here. I've had real jobs. Like, the FBI job was 35 to, you know, 41 that wasn't that wasn't even a real job to me. That was the most fun that I ever got to have and get paid for it. So there's something real about people who have actually had experiences. And it's also why we look at some of these folks that are reporters that have never done a real job. They've never done any military time. They don't have any experience on the street with law enforcement knowing what it is. They've seen riots, but they've never been on the wrong side of the riot where they're trying to hold it back. And so all of that gives us a different perspective. I think that's why guys like Mark Naughton are going to be interesting. We are working on a collab right now, and I'm just letting you guys know this is kind of tipping our hand. We're going to bring in some real reporting. So if you are currently watching the show and you are not following the show with the notifications on, here's my plea to you or my pitch. Click that button right now and get yourself set up to get live notifications because when things break on the East Coast, and this is 2024, y'all, it's going to break. We're going to get weird stuff going on. When it does, we are going to have a man in on the ground, doing the truth there. We're going to be running it here from the studio in Texas. He's going to be out there. It's a two-man operation. You're going to see both of them, me and Mark. And we're going to start moving real news, uncut. We don't have any format. We don't answer to anybody. And we're going to just show you what's happening. And if it's crazy and wild and dangerous, we'll show you that. And if it's not, and it's just one little fire on the ground somewhere, we're not going to give you the weird angle that says, oh, look, the, the city is burning. We're going to just cut it straight because if we don't have good information. And by the way, this is just coming out of my pocket because it's the right thing to do. My wife was like, how much should we spend on this? And we came up with a number, and that's what we're willing to invest in, getting somebody out there to be able to share unvarnished truth. So you can find him. It's Mark Naughton, N-A-U-G-H-T-O-N, the number nine, Mark Naughton nine. We're going to stream it in multiple places. We'll brand it. We'll let you guys know when it's coming, okay? But there's going to be links to his. I want you guys to support him, support us. I'm actually trying to get a sponsor, and the sponsor will just go straight to him. And uh, we'll see if we can do that. But we've already put some money into the equipment. It's already coming in. We did some dry runs yesterday. We'll get some man on the stuff. We'll just see what's going on in the world. We're going to do news the way that news was supposed to be done in that way. And then we'll do commentary in the morning like you guys are used to. So really appreciate all of you guys watching it. I think it's super fun. Again, I don't think these people are being very honest when they're out there. Their analysis is crap. Maybe it's because they've never met real people. And I know you guys are real people. Let's do another one because these are fun. Uh, the best is, is that that was CNN. Now we're going to pivot over. Here we go. Ready? <laughs> this is, who is this? This is NBC. NBC lets you know that Trump is running a disciplined campaign and that should worry the Democrats. <laughs> like they're, they're exactly at odds. That doesn't happen very often. And when it does, it makes me laugh. They had all the talking faces on. All of those people look like they would lose the fight Like to one person. One grown male would be able to fight every one of them, whether it's uh, Joe Scarborough or these like there's a couple of dudes that are on the screen that I'm seeing right now. It's called Punchbowl News. Uh, it's just punchable face news. The former president seems more attuned to the Republican Party apparatus than before. So now you've got an opinion columnist saying, hey, you guys should be really scared of Trump. He had he won the last two caucus and primary. He was supposed to uh, be you know, a poor candidate. They brought out as many as 70 percent Democrat or independent voters on the left to go in and, and try to take New Hampshire for Nikki Haley. It didn't work. So there's, this is the article saying uh, Trump's success is partially a function of the reality that he's running as the de facto incumbent. Well, that's true. Despite his loss in 2020, the base still thinks he's got the Jews. Obviously, that's been the case since the beginning. Like I said, I don't have to be the biggest Trump fan in the world. I don't rah-rah Trump ever. But I can accept what's real. I'm, I'm not going to be insane. I said this. The minute that they indicted the guy, it was pretty obvious to me that they picked their challenger. They picked their fighter, just like you see on these, these uh, video games that are in a, an arcade, which I guess they still have arcades now. They're coming back. 
Um, Axios published a report explaining all the ways that Trump's campaign looks more organized than his previous campaigns and his White House operation. Well, you'd think that that would be the case. Meanwhile, Joe Biden is running on January 6th in abortion. Okay. So in any case, he had a strong ground game. He They got it done. They won almost every single county, all but one in Iowa. That's a big deal. His New Hampshire campaign was strong, despite most of the people showing up who were, were not even Republicans. They were independents, or they had recently switched over from Democrat to independent. It's an open primary out there, and he still took it. Double digits took it. Would he have liked it to be stronger? Sure. But there was an awful lot of money that was going in on the other side. So, you know, and, and, he, and he, like, tripled the number that Joe Biden got in the same primary, because Joe Biden wasn't even on the ballot, because they were scared, because they were scared of putting him in it. So... Then they go and they do their little slam here. It's unlikely that Trump at 77 had an epiphany on the importance of professionalism and attention to detail. What may be in play is that Trump has become uh, more deeply enmeshed in the Republican Party apparatus and more attuned to the benefits of building relationships with his important players. Or maybe he's just pissed off, y'all. Isn't that a possibility? Isn't it just the possibility that he just went like, that sucked. We're not going to do this again. I, I hope so. I really hope that Trump like is is trolling people with some of this like gentle stuff. And in reality, he's just pissed. We need somebody who's pissed right now. I'm pissed. I think many of you are pissed. I don't scream about it. We don't need to raise our voices. We need to get effective. And we're going to continue by being informed. We're going to know more about it than the than the other team does. The other team is the people that apparently hate America. But in reality, they should actually just be treated like people who are ignorant. Most people are historically ignorant. Every time I take a shower, I have all these weird thoughts that run through my head. And I just think how strange it is that people are just struggling with basic historical context. They don't even understand the things that they don't even know. There's a ton of people that just missed out on it. And one of the things that we're doing here uh, on this show specifically is we're looking to make civics approachable. It's, it's suddenly a lot more important and more interesting to you than when you were like, you know, in seventh or eighth grade. Weirdly enough, I've got one of these memories that I remember all that stuff. I paid attention like a total nerd. I did sports and I love school. I loved learning and I always have it. I always remember stuff. But if you don't have a timeline of the way things happened, right now you've got Democrats that are out there making arguments. We're going to talk about it. It's the it's the, the thumbnail of the day. Here, it's going to go quiet for one second, but you guys can see the thumbnail. Here it is. If you look at those pictures, which are historically relevant pictures, and they're not like immediately apparent what they are. One of them is the, the beginning shots of the Civil War, Fort Sumter, right? And so that's one of the arguments being made about what's going on in Texas. The other one is a picture of the Little Rock Nine and the forced integrations of the schools in Little Rock. And those are two analogies that are being used historically. They're both absolute BS because neither of them have anything to do with what's really going on in Texas right now. By the way, I love all the Mark Naughton stuff going on in the chat right now as you guys are like scrambling to figure out where Mark's at. Uh, he's got a decent-sized Twitter following, but uh, he's he's pretty new on Rumble. And so, yeah, definitely follow him. Uh, Mark and I have been talking for hours in the last couple, you know, week and a half or so trying to get this thing. It just, it just came together on its own. And it's just, you know, it's one of those fortuitous moments. Let me, uh, let me say thanks to my sponsor at, at, uh, Patriot coolers right now. I actually picked out one of my, my little lunchbox size Patriot cooler and set that out for the day. Um, sitting on my, on my desk right here. This is what went with me to the Infowars studio. This is the, uh, the 19th ounce coffee tumbler guys. If you are not following them, you can follow them on social media. You can see there's the Kyle Serafin minivan shot and, uh, patriotcoolers.com is the website. Patriotcoolers.com. Again, patriotcoolers.com. The promo code is Kyle. 
Uh, K-Y-L-E, it's just my first name. Very easy. That's where we try to keep it. K-Y-L-E will save you 10% on the uh, any of the great stuff they have. And I've got a bunch of their things. I've got the hard-sided cooler, like you see up on the top right-hand side of the screen. We've got the uh, soft-sided cooler, which you see like in there in the little tailgate ready. I've got a uh, a number of their tumblers. I got 20 ounce and 32 ounce. I've got a coffee mug in 16. I got one in 19. Bought them all with my own money for whatever that's worth. Uh, almost every single thing that we have from Patriot Coolers, I bought with my own money. And we started doing this back in 2017, long before I ever thought that I was going to have a podcast. I thought I was going to be an FBI agent just doing surveillance and running down bad guys on Indian reservations. I, I've been using Patriot Coolers since they became a company that went and started publicly offering their gear. I love them because they say what they what they mean. They back up veterans. They say Patriot right on them. They're doing good business out of the state of Texas. You want to stand with Texas, you can stand with Patriot Coolers. Follow them on social media at Patriot Coolers. But the website, PatriotCoolers.com. Promo code is Kyle. If you're in the market, again, don't go buy something you don't need. But if you're in the market and you're like, oh, I got to replace this uh, cooler. I've got to replace like a, a backpack for carrying my lunch in. That's pretty cool and helpful. Or you're going to just replace a coffee mug. Head to head. These things beat Yetis. We've, we have Yetis. I actually found some Yetis at the FBI office. And uh, they're better. So it is what it is. They look better too. I had uh, Jenny Chen the other day on Twitter say that they look better than the Stanley that she had. And you know what? I don't know why the Stanley things are trending, but I agree. They are better. All right. So let's keep going. I'm going to take a little uh, swig from this one. And then we're going to start talking about what's going on. We're going to eventually get to the Texas border. I promise you. That's where we're heading. I met with the TurboTax expert because I had two full-time jobs. You know what I don't like it is when they have these pre-rolls on a um, on a website that pops in. Okay, so here we go. Let's jump into, you know it's bad. You remember the other day when Janet Yellen, when she was telling us that uh, people are having a really good time and they've got plenty of money and, and they're feeling really good about their financial situations? <laughs> Oops. When she says 2024 is going to be a very good year, I feel like you should probably hold on to your balls and run for the hills. She spoke in an exclusive interview. This is ABC. So now we've got, let me just tell you for today, we got CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS. I've got Zero Hedge. I got Philly Inquirer. I got The Atlantic. We've also got Wikipedia, almost all left-wing sources, and the FBI.gov. I'm going to actually quote them at the end here. And all of them are basically on the political left. We're just giving you what the other theme, the other side thinks. Janet Yellen says 2024 is going to be a good year for the economy. That should scare the crap out of all of us. Are we going to end up in hyperinflation or just like we're just going to fail? Are they going to just pull the dollar? Nobody knows. With the economy looming large in the 2024 election, the Treasury Secretary is going on a campaign tour, apparently, and she says there's no reason, quote unquote, no reason for a recession this year and insists consumers are turning more optimistic about their finances. I'm fairly confident that she is conflating higher spending with higher confidence. It's just because that's what things cost. Guys, go look at the grocery store. I don't like doing it. It makes me cringe. But when you do, and my wife loves grocery stores, for whatever that's worth. When we go shopping now, the, the grocery bill, she's like, eh, I was making decisions on whether or not to buy something. I'm, I just figure that's what it costs. And I know many of you are in the same boat. You're not feeling great about spending so much money. We're going to cover debt in just one second. So uh, Edie Allen just asked why credit card debt was high. That's my next story. You're, uh, you're sneaking ahead of it. Uh, here's, here's Yellen saying, I think 2024 is going to be a very good year, uh, an economic year. And that said, there are always risks. Oops. <laughs> yeah, right. Consumers and households feel confident enough about their own personal financial situations. It's the same thing she said the other day and about the economic outlook to be spending in a way that's creating jobs and creating growth. And it's providing them with the income to go on and do that. So I see no reason why that can't continue. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I see a reason. Because at some point in time, we're going to run out of money. We're going to not have any more. And the debt clock is going to catch up with us. So here you go. Coming from CBS. Like I said, they're all disagreeing. CBS has to say something about it. What does CBS say? Here's how much the typical American pays in debt each month. It's a piece from their Money Watch section. 
And what do they say? Americans are tumbling deeper into debt. You know, you know, nothing says to me a really good financial year coming up like Americans are tumbling deeper into debt with the typical American household paying almost $1,600 a month with their various loans. That's just their loans. That doesn't include their power and their water and their trash and their HOA because they unfortunately live in an HOA where they want commies to tell them what to do. It doesn't include their mortgage, their mortgage insurance if they had to buy it lower uh, and they didn't have a down payment, right? Or their rent, which continues to grow, although it's not nearly as bad as what's going on with the interest rates. All of this stuff, that's a more than $300 increase against the average debt in 2020. Okay, 1600 versus just under 1300 previously. And that tells you, what does that look like? That's almost a 25% increase. It's like a 22% off the top of my head. It's somewhere in that range. So we're talking about people are paying 25% more. That's what the real cost of inflation looks like. The real cost is that people are going into debt just to be able to do basic things. That's a lot of money, folks, 1600. That's after taxes, right? Mortgages make up the lion's share of that debt, they're saying. Okay, so they are including mortgages, which is an average payment of $1,855 on home loans. Does that make any sense that you could be paying $1,583 on various loans, but the average mortgage is more than that? I guess maybe the average person is not a house owner. So there's that. Auto loans account for the second largest scare of debt. What happens when the American economy basically no longer supports people being able to drive and get to work? What happens then? Because that's what we're looking at. The average auto payment right now, $690, $690 a month. And of course, it's by age. It's striated by age. So the people who are in the strongest earning bracket, Gen Xers, 43 to, to 58, carry the most debt, 1975 baby boomers. Um, are a little bit less into the retirement ages at 1529. So some people have cut costs. Millennials at 1500. Gen Z, 645. Gen Z is a real mess. We've got a Gen Z story here that really twists twists my uh, my thoughts up a little bit. But all of this stuff is going on. And then we've got this other kind of fun story here. Uh, I didn't. I don't know. Have you ever you never hear like those churched up words? There's a, a concept of a, of a like a flat, a small flat, like a studio apartment in New York, and they call it like a pied de terre. I think which sounds very fancy. And I think like, oh, I don't, I can't have one of those. I'm just a guy who would live in an apartment or a house. I would never have a pied de terre. I don't know what that is. Uh, and I'm probably mispronouncing that right now because it sticks out. How about this? Um, an au pair. Did you ever have like a babysitter when you were a kid? <laughs> apparently, apparently ABC is trying to let people know that au pairs are not just for the wealthy, but also now they're getting too expensive for everyone except the wealthy. <laughs> The cognitive dissonance on the political left is my absolute favorite. So, oops, that's not the right one. Where does it go? Uh, boom, there it is. This is the au pair program. It's so fun. <laughs> this is coming from ABC News. And it says the au pair program changes could leave some families priced out of childcare. The Biden administration rule update could price out up to 70% of families. You know, 70% of families are not going to be able to afford the au pair program anymore. They've got this little gray thing. I threw it up on the screen for you guys. It says uh, it's it's a couple that they basically interview. It's like their little, um, their microcosm. And the Griffins both work full-time jobs outside the house. And they hired their first au pair in 2016 when their children were six, four, and one years old. Quote, we're really excited to invite someone into our home, <laughs> into our family rather, that could uh, help teach their language and culture to our kids. These women truly become part of our family. Okay, number one, it's all women, generally speaking, right? 
That's who can do it. And so what you're saying is, is the only way that your lifestyle is able to continue is by utilizing the low paid services because you have to pay them less than what you were earning. Otherwise, otherwise they can't do it. There's no financial benefit there. So you have to pay some other woman less than what you earn. You outsource raising your children to somebody else and from some another, another culture. What? Does that make any sense? There's a reason why even people like Elizabeth Warren, who's like a loony lefty at this point, she actually wrote a book called The Two Income Trap. And The Two Income Trap, which I said, I think you guys should get it at the library if you want to do it. At the very least, you should just understand what the book jacket means. But essentially, by having two incomes in a family and making both of those points of failure, which means you're relying on both of those incomes, you have created an arms race or a money race of families so that women have to get into the workplace so people can afford to what's going on. It prices out single earner households, generally speaking, men historically in this country. And then uh, now you end up with au pairs. But of course, the cost of au pairs is, is going up higher. I didn't know this, but the State Department actually launched this as a cultural exchange, which doesn't sound like a bad thing. That sounds like something that we'd all be part of. That's some Nikki Haley stuff, isn't it? That that uh, compassionate conservatism thing, a cultural exchange, bringing in people for like not very much money. And they, they highlighted one here that's from Sweden, but do they come from other countries? In 1986, apparently this was launched for whatever that's worth. And it was an affordable childcare situation where you basically bring in an indentured servant. Uh, there's 29,000 of them apparently living in the United States as of 2023, but apparently it's about to get more expensive. And now most people won't be able to afford it. The average cost is $25,000 a year. I have no idea how any of this stuff works. So if you guys want to put it into the comments, I've only met like one or two people in my entire life that have ever had it. 29,000 people is not very many in the United States. And so then they go on and they make this thing. Experts say the biggest misconception about the uh, au pair program is that it's only for the ultra rich. You just figure out how many of your friends had, ultra, uh, you know, had no money and had an au pair from any country. That's just all I would say right there. Uh, regardless of what does it say? It says the biggest misconception. It's not really about being ultra rich, says a guy who's from he's the vice president of economic and social policy at the Cato Institute. You know, like somebody who doesn't know anything about the ultra rich, except that he live he works in D.C. in a think tank. A lot of middle class families in the United States hire au pairs. None that I know of. I don't even know any middle class people, said Alex, probably. But uh, yeah. That's what's going on there. The Biden administration proposal is meant to modernize and update the program and then also price out 70% of the families that actually hire the au pairs because the Biden, you know, he's really for the people. I don't know if you guys saw this. Another reason to be on Twitter, but I saw this because I didn't see it on, on True Social yet. And I'll try to post it if we don't. Um, Biden apparently was hanging out with Amy Klobuchar, which is horrific only because I hate saying the name Klobuchar. It's one of the nastiest names to say out loud, I feel like. And for whatever reason, they were at a bar with a bunch of Union workers, AFL-CIO, the guys like put on costumes so they're wearing safety vests at the bar. You know, like you do when you go out with the guys, you just leave your safety vest on on top of your Carhartt jacket, right? Isn't that what you guys all do? And uh, yeah, sure enough, goes out to the bar with Joe Biden and they let him wear a hard hat. And Joe Biden at 1,059 years old decided to prove to everybody that he's such a blue collar, like regular dude that he was going to wear the, uh, the construction helmet, you know, a hard hat. Except he's wearing it backwards in a photo that Klobuchar didn't know it was backwards either. And they published it out on Twitter for the world to see. Joe Biden is wearing a backwards helmet. You know how I know it's backwards? Because the knob that you use to tighten down the headband inside the helmet is in front of his forehead. Like a D sticking out. He just looks like the most confused, amped up drug-addled idiot. It's the saddest and stupidest thing. Like, he probably does need a helmet, as someone just said in the chat. Yeah, he probably does need a helmet for his own safety. We've seen him, like, struggle with sandbags and stairs and wind. However, 
Nothing says you're out of touch more than the fact that you don't even know how to put on a basic construction helmet. You know how you know the front is out the front? It's got a brim on it. Got a brim on it. Uh, funny little story about the uh, uh, when I was doing FBI work. One of the things we would do is construction. Not very many FBI agents can pass for being like construction dudes. So that's kind of funny too. But they gave me a helmet. They got it. I don't know what they got it at. Like they bought it from a construction store or they got it from Northern Freight or something like that or maybe Harbor Freight. It was, you know, inexpensive Chineseium thing. And I have this white helmet, which, you know, white's the supervisor, right? If you know things. And so I've got this silly thing and I'm putting it up in my my uh, my window, the dashboard right in front of the, uh, the windshield. And then I was like, oh, that doesn't look like a real construction helmet. It's all white. It's perfectly clean. It looks like the guy that goes in and does the inspection and, and doesn't actually work on the site. I can't do that. I got like a real pickup truck. So I took the damn thing and I went out to this... Uh, I went out to this, what do you call it, uh, parking lot full of ass black asphalt. And producer Phil was there, of all people. Producer Phil, who helped me start the show a year ago. And we took the thing, and we just threw it. And we just kept throwing it back and forth to each other. We were skipping it off all the asphalt to get all the asphalt scars on it. So it looked like a real helmet. And then we went and put that thing up there because, you know, you got to look the part if you're going to do it. Uh, I don't think Joe Biden has ever even known what a real construction helmet would look like. He's the guy that holds, like, the golden shovel. Like, his whole life, since he was in his 20s. The golden shovel that, like, does one thing full of dirt, Right. Totally out of touch, super sad, uh, bizarre. And that's why we're in the situation we're in right now. That's why we've got uh, people getting priced out. That's why we got debt going the way it is. And it's also a reason why you might want to consider checking out my friends over at 4patriots.com. Did you see that segue? Super professional. Here we go. Look, uh, 4patriots.com slash Kyle. If you only have one good typing spat in you and you got to type out all the letters at once, boom, do it that way. 4patriots.com slash Kyle is going to give you the deals that we've worked out with them. This is going to be food prep. This is going to be disaster prep. This is going to be keeping yourself warm, being able to cook things. You're going to want to check out 4patriots.com slash Kyle. So you've got some emergency food in case that uh, really good year that Janet Yellen is protecting doesn't exactly go according to plan, which it seems like the most likely case. Uh, or we're going to get overrun by illegal aliens, all that possible. So what do we want to do? You want to make sure you've got some power. You want to make sure you got continuity of comms. You want to make sure you can see things when it's dark outside. Flashlights, rechargeables, solars, all that stuff is available. Go to 4patriots.com slash Kyle or just use the promo code Kyle. Again, K-Y-L-E. And it's going to save you a little bit on all these different items. You can do a full like disaster pack. You could spend 3000 bucks and get yourself a solar generator so you can run your refrigerator and also charge it off the sun. That's not a bad idea in certain states. Might work uh, not very well if you're in other states like up in the northern areas. But check out what they've got. Uh, go look through. Make some good decisions. Make sure you are preparing for the worst. You don't have to have everything. You just have a have to, a couple things. You got to make sure you got food. You got to make sure you got water or purification capabilities. You got to make sure you got the ability to, you know, continue your comms and keep track of your neighbors. You're going to need a little bit of power. So go check out all the solutions that are over there for patriots.com slash Kyle. And we appreciate them supporting us. And we appreciate you supporting them. Let's keep going on, right? Let's keep going. We're not done yet. We got a bunch here. And uh, in news of the sad and the disastrous, here's another one. This one really hurts my feelings only because, I don't know, my kids are going to be the generation after this, and this generation is so jacked up. Uh, new, what is it? New little polling coming out about Gen Z. Shocker, right? Gen Z polling says almost 30% of Gen Z adults, are they really adults? I guess they are. If you were born in 1997, which when I was a, what, I was a sophomore in high school. If you were born when I was a sophomore in high school, you are 30%, there's a 30% chance you identify yourself as queer. Weird. I feel so uncomfortable that that word has come back into vogue in the way that it has. And they've like sort of owned it, right? Like they've taken queer as like an identity and they and they say it in, in ways that are bizarre. Like the way that we use the word queer when I was a kid was like whoever was the queer had the football and you got smeared. You guys remember Smear the Queer? I don't know why that's like somebody asked like, what's a game you can't play anymore? You probably can't play Smear the Queer anymore. 
And that was a game where you had a football and you'd throw it to somebody and whoever had the football would just run around until they got exhausted. Then they'd get dogpiled by everybody and they'd knock the crap out of you. And then it was like, meh. And then you'd have to throw the football. And then somebody else would catch it, whoever was bold. And then they would run around until they got the crap knocked out of them. And we just knocked the crap out of each other. There was no winner. Everybody just got dogpiled. That was the win. The win was, yeah, you uh, you just didn't want to be the queer for too long unless you were just a super stud. You would run around and you just like Heisman everybody. All right, 30% of Gen Z adults claim to be their queer. This is what the new poll finds. Uh, it's got all kinds of weird polls. This is actually a really good article on Zero Hedge. So I recommend checking that out today if you are so interested. And uh, yeah, I found it on Twitter too. Go figure it says Gen Z adults are notably less likely to identify as religiously affiliated than older generations. Yeah, we know. We know. They think religion is the problem, and it turns out that religion is actually solutions. You know, this whole uh, this whole like thing that I grew through, which was like the I'm spiritual but not religious thing, it resulted in a bunch of people who don't know what to do with their genitals. You guys... It's a pretty straight line. You guys can check that out, and you'll understand it right there. Uh, Gen Z adults are more likely than older generations to identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or something else. We don't know what the something else is. This is the tranny movement, whatever. Uh, 28% of them LGBTQ. Jeez. Compared to 16% of millennials. I guess technically I'm in the millennial generation, although I'm, I have much more Gen X tendencies. 7% of Gen X, 4% of boomers, 4% of the silent generation. Tells you that the real percentage is probably like between, I don't know, two and five because i don't i don't know about the rest of it there's still like people that are alive that are easily impressionable and have decided to take on the movement of the gender cult but all of that being said there's some really really goofy pictures of these people it's really sad i almost i pity them i pity them i pity them the same way i pity people in the fbi and also if you guys are not on twitter right now what you're missing is the guy j michael waller who we had on the other day he dropped his book big intel which i told you about and it's actually a great read one of the things that's in there there's an entire entire chapter on the wokeness of our federal intelligence agencies and they dropped the gender training that we went through on the show not too long ago it's that entire 56 uh packet or 56 slide nonsensical gender training that they are trying to indoctrinate federal employees into it always comes back to my ex-girlfriend, doesn't it? Um, you guys can go check that out. It's on Twitter. He actually put it up on Scribe. So if you just want to take gender training and see what it takes to be uh, an FBI employee in 2021, because that's when that came out. Yep, you can totally check it out. It's pretty gross. Um, this leads to some really bizarre outcomes. It leads to some really strange things. So when I was a kid, Planned Parenthood was trying to give out condoms and probably teach people, like, I don't know, how to have sex or whatever they were doing. I don't really remember being that interested in it. And now it's out there and it's doing some really gross, gnarly things. So if you don't have your barf bags ready, now's the time. Get yourself your barf bags. I'm going to play something. I'm going to apologize up front. Um, if you are at work, you need to put headphones on right now because the stuff this lady says, and apparently it looks like based on the, the setting, it's, it looks like it's for kids. Okay. The stuff that this lady says is atrociously bizarre to me. Like, as an adult, I'm looking at it going, like, I don't want to play this. If I was on a bus, I wouldn't play this. If I was around a bunch of people that didn't know me, I would not play this out loud. And they've put this out as, like I said, I think a message to children. So I think I've prepped it long enough. You guys have had time to turn down the audio. Uh, if you got kids in the car, same thing. All right, ready? Ah, and, and if you're not watching the visual, this is about a 300-and-something-pound black androgynous-looking woman who has like a waistband, like her belt is up, like almost to the nipple line. She's wearing like the uh, the Ralph Nadler pants uh, and it's in a classroom that looks like it's set up for kindergarten. Okay, that's, that's the prep. Here we go, get grossed out. One, two, three. Sex means different things to different people. 
Generally speaking, society tends to define sex in a very narrow way. Penetration, penis into vagina. But where does that definition leave queer people? Or folks who can't or don't have penis and vagina sex? and choose to have oral, anal, or another type of sex instead. Sex is defined by one thing and one thing only, you. Maybe that's being fingered for the first time. Maybe it's having anal sex. Maybe it's having your first orgasm. Maybe it's masturbating for the first time or when you enthusiastically consent to sex. That's the beauty of your sexual journey. You're in charge and you can figure it out on your own terms. Choosing to have sex, when, what kind, where, who with, is something that only you get to define. All right, so now that all of you are uh, retching and uh, grabbing the trash can and vomiting uh, profusely, I've only got one thing to say to this bizarre androgynous fat lady who looks like she is maybe the younger cousin of Stacey Abrams. There's only one thing I have to say about that, and it's right here, because doing this kind of thing to children, which is what's going on here, it's a real problem in this society, and we used to actually know that. Here we go. I want to stress that the FBI has a long memory and a broad reach. That's Steve D'Antuano letting you know. What does he say? I want to stress that the FBI has a long memory and a broad reach. Yeah, so we're going to find you. you, Because, no, we're not. We're going to find J6ers. That's about J6. That's about people trying to find J6. It's not about people that are going to hunt down pedophiles that are trying to interest uh, your, your children and try to move the needle on their sexual identity. By the way, that entire post was a was a that was their their public service announcement about virginity. You might have known that. I think uh, they probably got a woman who is actually an expert on virginity, which is sad. But uh, everything about that is disgusting. Everything about that is that uh, they are trying to sexualize children and normalize things that are not acceptable for children. And the worst part to me is that our federal tax dollars support Planned Parenthood. Money is fungible. You can give somebody money, and they can claim they spent it on something other than they did. But one way or another, we are in aggregate supporting Planned Parenthood as a country, which means your tax dollars help to pay for that, at least in a roundabout way. How do you feel? Feeling pretty gross? Feeling pretty sick? Makes you kind of want to have a Tenth Amendment revolution? Maybe, like, hold on and not pay taxes again? I'm seriously, I would love to not see any taxes paid for a little while. Let's, um, let's pull up the next article here coming in. From our buddies back at CNN. We're going back to CNN because CNN knows it's actually Republicans' fault that the border is not working, right? Isn't that it? Here's some analysis. Analysis piece, you know it's getting real. That's our buzzword for uh, propaganda. This is why nothing gets done in Congress on the border. Okay, we've got a picture of some National Guardsmen standing in front of a fence saying, don't do that, don't come in here, they're blocking And uh, it's a nice quiet river scene. If you're watching online, that's what you're seeing. It might surprise Americans to learn that the highest level bipartisan talks have been underway to find a compromise solution to the crisis at the border. It should shock no one who has paid attention to U.S. border policy over the last 30 years that the talks may be dead soon. Right? It's even less shocking. Oh, here it comes. That former President Donald Trump can be blamed for killing them. So what are they going to say? It's a Republican plan to make this a big issue as he, he he doesn't want a solution because Donald Trump needs a bad border for him to be able to be elected at president, as president. Now, we just need that people in America to have a memory that's longer than the goldfish. Donald Trump, the Republicans, likely presidential nominee, at least they know that, again wants the border to be his main election issue. No, I don't think he wants it to be his main election issue. It is just, there is no choice. Almost 4 million people snuck into our country illegally that we know of last year. That's absurd. It's absolutely insane. That's like 1% of our total population snuck in. 
What? Like, you can't have a country in that way. And Donald Trump is saying things that are objectively reasonable in this. The idea that we have Democrats pushing back on this is so strange. And it's anti-American. The fun thing is this, and I mentioned this earlier, people have no historical context on the on the, the Democratic left. They claim to represent the AFL-CIO, the working class, the people who use their hands, right? The guys who don't wear their helmet backward like Joe Biden. And they claim to represent uh, black people who they who they also have claimed are poor. That's my other favorite thing. Just remember, uh, you know, what does it say? Poor kids are just as good as white kids. That's the, the Joe Biden quote. He has that in his mind. That's his mindset, that if black equals poor, that's a Joe Biden mindset going back a long, long ways. And that may or may not be true in some kinds. But when you're talking about the aggregate of the people that are poor that choose to vote for the Democrat Party, apparently they're kind of forgetting the Democrat Party was the one that was in charge of slavery. They love slavery. Why? Because slavery was actually better. And the people who were most angry about slavery ending, which is kind of like, was the working class. It was the working poor. The Irish were the most racist about it and was straightly based on financial stuff. They could not compete with the black workforce. And if those people came out and were now going to compete at the bottom, it was a race to the bottom for lowest wages. That was the worst case scenario for them. And and Irish people were killed left and right doing labor in the post-Civil War and the and the and the just the pre the, the antebellum time. Like they were working to the death trying to scratch out a living in this country. You know? We used to actually have some grasp of the historical context. That's why it's so interesting that Fort Sumter is being brought up. Um, I just love that it's 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 Donald Trump's fault, and they have a timeline here. So May 23, uh, Republicans pass a hardline border bill. It's not that hard. Um, and basically was trying to reinstate something similar to Title 42. The Remain in Mexico program was there. Uh, that was immediately rejected by the Senate Democrats in the White House, so that was a no-go, dead on arrival. Uh, then it's September 30th. This is going back last year. The House passes a spending bill without a border element in it. Then... Uh, House Speaker McCarthy kind of abandons the uh, the border thing in order to get a short-term spending bill October 3rd. McCarthy is ousted October 20th. Biden requests $105 billion with a border sweetener. That's CNN's words for you, by the way. Border sweetener. All right. And in an effort to get Ukraine and Israel aid passed through Congress, because that's what the real priority is. We need to give money to Israel and Ukraine. We need to be supporting foreign wars. Might as well just put Nikki Haley in there. Uh, Biden adds $13.6 billion to his national security program to go ahead and address border security. He makes no mention of the border policy in the primetime address that he does from the White House, talking about his case for making this, this budget package go. But in a letter to Republicans, he says that the money would be spent on 1,300 more Border Patrol agents, as well as immigration judges, asylum officers, and CBP officers focused on stopping the flow of fentanyl. But in reality, what we know is that they're going to just facilitate more people. It's just more federal help to get more people into this country. So that doesn't seem like a good idea. October 25th, the speaker says that the border is their top priority and inaction is unacceptable. They're all doing nothing. The only people that are doing something, starting to do something, an imperfect something at that. But we finally have Texas trying to take a stand since Texas has a huge chunk of the border. The bipartisan group of senators in November starts working on a border compromise. November 14th, they pass a short-term spending bill, which is a disaster for the American people. I added that part. Obviously, we shouldn't be spending anything. Shut it all down, man. Uh, Biden promises significant compromises on the border on, on December 7th. Now we get into the new year. We're in 2024, and Johnson travels to the border. Hooray. He said it's a catastrophe. He throws cold water on Senate negotiations. On the 17th, Biden and Johnson meet at the White House. That's the Speaker of the House again, looking for some optimism. It's a one hour, uh, it's a one and a half hour meeting. But in an interview later, he says he can't guarantee that a Senate compromise would even get a vote on the House floor. And on the 18th, uh, Trump squarely turns against the compromise. And since he's running the GOP per CNN's uh, or, or uh, what is it? NBC's previous statement, like a strong man, right? CNN and uh, NBC are saying these things. Then we get this other shutdown averted. 
no compromise, but it doesn't really matter. It's just a short-term funding. They just kick the can down into March so they can keep trying to hope that you all forget about what's going on there. And on January 24th, we have an official quandary after a closed-door meeting with Mitch McConnell. That's the statement. All right? That's what it comes down to. That's where we're at right there. And all that has led to the federal government has failed. I say that with no uncertain terms. The federal government is failing in their responsibilities, and that's how you end up with what's going on uh, in in the, the press. The left-wing press is trying to demonize Greg Abbott. And that's where we're getting to right now. Here it is. So, boom. Philadelphia Inquirer. What they say? Eagle Pass is today's Fort Sumter. Biden must federalize the Texas National Guard. It's a standoff between Greg Abbott's 10 soldiers. 10 soldiers, really? Really? Come on, Philly. They've got a 19th group down there, too. 10 soldiers, my ass. And the U.S. Border Patrol. It's the greatest challenge to federal authority in 60 years. The president must act. Okay, so they're going to draw this comparison. Why did they say 60 years? Because they're going to hold two comparisons. One of them is on the start of the Civil War, the American Civil War in 1861. And the other one is going to be the start of this civil rights fight back that happened in Arkansas with the Little Rock Nine. It says the high-stakes game of Texas Hold'em poker is taking place on the banks of the Rio Grande between the 10 soldiers of the state's Republican Governor Greg Abbott and the U.S. Border Patrol, which has reached a new tension level that some writers and online pundit have compared to a standoff at Fort Sumter, the South Carolina outpost, where the first shots of the Civil War were fired in 1861. But that comparison might be a little unfair. No one was actually killed during the bombardment of the federal fort off the coast of Charleston by rebel forces and the newly formed Confederacy. But four migrants trying to reach U.S. soil at or near the disputed park in Eagle Pass, Texas, this is Shelby Park, have drowned under circumstances that are arguably linked to the dispute between the militaristic approach of the Texas National Guard and the comparatively humane locked-out agents of President Joe Biden's administration. You guys have to hear the language that a columnist, a guy named Will Bunch, is is throwing out there in the Philadelphia Inquirer. This is a mainstream newspaper for them. All right? We have to talk about the fact that he has now said that the governor is extra mean because people who were breaking the law, trying to sneak into our country illegally, found it difficult to break that law. And that the the administration of the, uh, the Joe Biden administration, the Democrats that are now trying to run policy and, and move in millions of people into this country, those people are the comparatively humane locked out agents of the Biden administration. The mean people are the tin soldiers. I don't know why he said that multiple times of the Texas National Guard. I say, you know what I say? I say, come on down to Texas, Will Bunch. You ought to come down to Texas and tar- start calling some of these guys tin soldiers. They'll eat your lunch. That's not that's not debatable. They will actually potentially just leave you in the river. The Eagle Pass Shelby Park it, which in a you-can't-make-up-this-level-of-irony is named for the rebel general Joseph Orbel Shelby. So what? It's a park. It's been there for 100 years. Uh, said to have been planted the last Confederate battle flag in the river in 1865 as he fled into Mexico, the front line of America's second civil war. Is that what's going on here? And its first casualty will be a Mexican woman, a 33-year-old, uh, Victoria de la Sanchezero and her two children, her daughter, who's 10, and son. No, that woman, a 33-year-old woman who dragged a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old and got carried off by a river, that was her fault. That's bad parenting. She apparently needed a no pair because she couldn't do the job. I'm furious at these people. And I'm also absolutely disgusted by the fact that they're willing to demonize and, and demonize the, the Texas Border Patrol and then lionize 
you know, some idiot that's trying to break into our country illegally, that's trying to sneak in through a place that's got covered. You could see it across the river. Guys, the Rio Grande's not that big. I've thrown rocks across the Rio Grande. It's not that big. And there's barbed wire and there's all these things getting set up. Right? They're putting up all these, these uh, what do you call them? These, uh, these shipping containers to try to block it off. Come on. Like, take a look. Go, I've got an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old. Those are the most important things in the world. Maybe I'm not going to be an idiot and try to ford this river when I don't know anything about going across rivers. Maybe I'm a fat lady who doesn't know how to swim, and that's not a good idea to take my kids. By the way, at 10 and 8 years old, like, I could have swam back and forth across the Rio Grande a thousand times. A hundred percent. It's sad. I used to go out and swim and watch guys who were surfers that were doing it their whole life, but they weren't great swimmers. And we would, like, just swim laterally across the coast and get out of riptides and stuff like that. You know. You live in Mexico in the central part of it. You come in. You've never seen the water before like that. That's the biggest water you've ever seen, and you die in it. That's a sad thing. That's an awful thing, to, to, but that's on you. That has nothing to do with American policy, and there's no reason why we should be moving American policy over simply because people make bad decisions. Apparently, they needed the, uh, the video. They needed that flotation device that was in the Planned Parenthood video to keep them safe. That might have worked. Now they've got pictures in this. If you go down, Democracy Now!, which is a Democrat mouthpiece, um, actually has pictures of the little kids on their Twitter feed. Another thing. Look, you got to see what they're talking about. You got to figure out what the leftists are trying to say. And then you got this a-hole who runs New York. I had to play this because I, I saw it and I wanted to play it. Uh, my buddy Sal Greco put this thing up. He's got a big grudge against uh, Mayor Adams. But Mayor Adams is, you know, it's it's racial, obviously. It's racial. This is just a... This is Republicans being mean, and they're just trying to export brown people into black mayor cities. Just listen to this dude. By the way, uh, the mayor of the uh, the city that he cites originally, David, whatever, is a uh, Caucasian male. But, you know, don't let facts get in the way of the narrative. It's obviously racism. Here you go. I'm going to get us through this, but you need to know what they dropped in my, in my, in my lap. Same thing they did to David Dinkins. <laughs> and check this out. Look at the cities that this character from Texas is sending the migrants and asylum seekers from. Look at the cities. Chicago, who's there? Black mayor. Los Angeles, who's there? Black mayor. Houston, who's there? Black mayor. Washington, who's there? Black mayor. New York, who's there? Black mayor. <laughs> you see the hustle? <laughs> and then they went away and say, well, you know, when you get them in charge, they don't know how to govern. <laughs> that's the game. Yeah, that's the game. That's the game, Mayor Adams. That's right. The hustle, that's the hustle. Who's they, by the way, that doesn't know how to govern? Who, who looks at all black mayors and thinks, oh, they're all the same? Like, I look at Mayor Adams, and I'm like, that guy's a cocky dickhead from New York. That's pretty straightforward. Like, I look at uh, Muriel Bowser, I think she's a scumbag. She's an absolute political opportunist, and she's incompetent. She's like, they're not the same kind of people. They happen to have the same color skin. That doesn't mean anything. They just suck at, at doing leadership. They suck at management of their actual job. They're poor executives of the authorities that were given to them. How about that? It's pretty straightforward. It's not about race. And also that David Dinklage, was that his name? Um, yeah, Colorado, white guy. Anyway, that's the game. Listen, if you got to frame yourself as the victim all the time, like you're the victim. Dude, you are the, you are the mayor of the biggest city in America. You have the biggest budget, the largest police force. You got a bigger police force than there is than the FBI. And you used to work for it. And you're just bad at your job. Why don't you just take that? Why don't you say, I'm not very good, but I'm going to go out there. He looks nice. He's a nice looking man. He's got a nice looking uh, shirt cuffs. And he's got that swagger. He's, that's what he calls him, swagger man. Um, gross. Just gross and sad. And uh, refusal to accept the, you know, the sort of the responsibilities that you should have. It should be there, but you're not doing it. So shame on you. 
That's a, that's a classic, classic dem move. Play the victim, right? And so what do we got? This is an interesting website. I'd never seen it before. It came up in one of my searches because I was looking for more on this. This is uh, commondreams.org. It's, it's obviously lefty. If you even look at the, the writer, she has like a nose ring and she's a, one of the Gen Z people that's probably gender confused. Uh, it says half of U.S. governors, quote unquote, stand with Texas. That's where we're at right now in defying the Supreme Court at the border. One columnist said Greg Abbott's defiance was the greatest threat to federal authority since the South's massive resistance in the 1950s and 60s to the high court ruling that mandated school immigration uh, integration. Here's the fundamental problem. And this goes on. And this is where I actually found the Philly Inquirer piece. So it's actually pretty good. Uh, they published it in the Inquirer. That's Will Bunch's thing that we just read from. Uh, Greg Abbott's reckless cruelty is the point policy. Really? Because that's what we're about here. The cruelty is the policy. Like, what a bad take. That's coming from the Philadelphia Inquirer again. Uh, his defiant stand are also posing the greatest threat to federal authority. Here's the big difference, and this is why the left loves to make these false analogies. With the situation that went on in Fort Sumter, now what, about 150 years ago, we were dealing with the federal government coming in and saying, we are going to outlaw slavery. That was kind of the push. They had Lincoln. He, he put it out up front, right? And so they were going to use federal authorities to change laws, and then they were going to go basically make everybody come to heel on federal authorities. The law was going to be passed, and then everybody was going to have to deal with it. And they didn't like that. Okay, fine. So that was a refusal to accept federal authority. Same situation in, in Arkansas, in Little Rock. The issue was is that school integration was the law, and they brought in the National Guard to enforce the law. What we are seeing now is the exact opposite of that, which is why Texas is in the right in this case. What we have is the federal government is refusing to deal with federal law, which tells them what they must do. Those agencies are set up with a purpose, and they don't want to do it. They don't want to do the job because it's bad for whatever business that they've been selling, and they don't want to have uh, people actually stopped from coming in this country illegally. They are refusing to enforce the law, and Texas has said, well, if you're not going to do it, we're going to do it. That's what's going on. It's, it's, a total, it's a total reversal. These are not one-to-one -one comparisons. They're exactly the opposite. It's the federal government shirking its responsibility, and as Greg Abbott said, breaking the compact. They're breaking the federal compact that says that the, the federal government has certain authorities, but they also have to do certain things. It said, we read it the other day, they shall do this. Shall means will in legal terms. The Constitution demands that the federal government does its job in this case. What do you do when the federal government doesn't do it? You just roll over and die? You just let people stream in and you go, well, federal government's not doing it. And Supreme Court says, yeah, yeah. No, the answer is, and I said it on Bongino's radio the other day, let's start playing the same game that they do. You can't use razor wire, says the Supreme Court. Fine, we'll act like the Supreme Court has some authority. By the way, what army does the Supreme Court have to enforce that? None. There are more Texas police officers. There are more National Guardsmen and police officers in the state of Texas than the entire federal government has law enforcement. Just saying. You don't want to have a stand down between federal law enforcement underneath the uh, the Biden administration. And they're not going to be able to deputy like who's going to what federal troop is going to go. OK, or Texas uh, National Guard, rather, they're going to go, OK, the, go the governor's saying this. We're doing the right thing. We know what's correct. We know what our oath is. And we also have the backing of our local state. And then you're going to do the other thing. What's the other piece? You're going to go and listen to Biden. And mm, no, it says Texas National Guard. Right. I hope they stand firm. I really do. And that's why this standard, that's why that there are 25 states that are saying, uh-uh, you're dropping the ball and Texas is picking it up. So shame on you. Just remember, what do they say? I want to stress that the FBI has a long memory and a broad reach. 
It's actually not that broad of a reach. I don't know why I think that's really funny to me, but Steve D'Antuano, I actually still just left it in from yesterday. <laughs> they don't actually have it. So what does this all have to do with? The fact of the matter is, is this was actually brought up and this was kind of adjudicated in 2020 regarding the situation for the COVID lockdowns that was being advocated by some. It was in the Atlantic. You know, the Atlantic is not right wing, not even a little bit. The Atlantic said why there's no national lockdown. Enforcing large-scale quarantines would be legally murky. That's correct. Even if it's what the country needs to slow down the spread of coronavirus. Yeah, did it need it? No, it needed no lockdowns. It needed people to go outside in the sunlight. So they go on, and this entire article basically highlights the major legal challenge, which is the 10th Amendment. And so I brought the 10th Amendment up. I've got uh, the 10th Amendment, essentially, the piece that's most relevant is the police powers of the United States, if that makes sense to you. The police powers, which I just grabbed a Wikipedia quote. It's just as easy as anything else. Okay, in the United States, constitutional law, which is, you know, based law that is case law coming from the United States Constitution, the, the so-called police powers are the capacity of the state to regulate behavior and enforce order within their territories for the betterment of health, safety, morals, and the general welfare of their inhabitants. Right. Is it part of the uh, the health and the safety and the morals and the general welfare of their inhabitants to have an invading group of people that they don't have the facilities to handle that are dying in the river because they make terrible choices? We're talking about a 33 year old with agency. They have the ability to make their own choices, and they chose to go do stupid things like run across the Rio Grande and get their kids killed. It's awful. It's horrible for those children. It's stupider that there's a policy that's trying to protect that and act like it's not It's not reasonable to defend your own borders. And if the, if the federal government's not going to do it, Texas is going to jump in, which is what Greg Abbott has said. Are they doing it great? No. There's a lot of work to be done there, but I hope it's the first step. Police power is defined uh, in each jurisdiction by the legislative body. It determines what the public what the public purposes are that's needed to be served. The legislation basically lays it out, and then there it is. Under the Tenth Amendment, the power is not delegated to the federal government, which are pretty specific. The government is actually supposed to do something. There is a positive requirement under the Constitution for the federal government to get engaged, and they've chosen not to. And Texas has cited its own Constitution and said we're going to get we're going to get this thing done. We're going to have to make it happen. Here's the other funny thing: it's not like it's not like the uh, the federal government doesn't have a major history of overreach in this case. I just wanted to point it out when we talk about defunding the FBI, which I do on a pretty regular basis. I've got a I've got a little thing here. Most people who know what the FBI does, they think it actually has to do with violent crime. But we just found this out. It's, it's literally in there that the the one thing that they don't have the authority to do under the Tenth Amendment is actually deal with violent crime. In fact, uh, I think I actually have it in that little piece there. Does that say there? No, it's it's later on in the in the Wikipedia article, so I've got this actually on my screen. So let me just read for you guys just so you have it. The basis of the United States uh, Supreme Court ruling, federal police powers defined by Supreme Court rulings, specifically U.S. versus Lopez, which was 1995. Uh, it withholds from Congress a plenary police power that would authorize enactment of every type of legislation. And then U.S. versus uh, Morrison, which was in 2000, the court invalidated a, prov a provision of federal law on violent crime specifically. Think about this. The the basic belief is that most people have is that the FBI is somehow involved in dealing with violent crime, that they're the agency that would do that. The court stated, quote, the regulation and punishment of interstate violence that is not directed at the instrumentalities, the channels, or goods involved in interstate commerce has always been the province of the states. By the way, that, that, that little content there about interstate violence, intrastate violence versus interstate commerce. So, Violence that happens within the state is the business of the state. Violence that happens because of interstate commerce, they use the interstate commerce clause specifically the, that, that goods were involved in it, so a gun was sold from somewhere else, and therefore it's the FBI's. It's complete bullshit. It's a bastardization of what these rules are supposed to mean. 
And it's really, really ugly. It's this federal creep that's been going on for far too long. We can think of no better example of the police powers, which the, that the founders denied the national government and reproposed, they proposed in the states, than the suppression of violent crime. So what, what does that mean? What does that mean to us? It means that we have a federal government that has this. This is coming from FBI.gov. Violent Gang Task Force. The Violent Gang Safe Streets Task Force, of which I have friends that have been on it and Safe Streets, they basically are the, the federal government's ability to take regular local cases and make them their own. There was one that Steve Friend published the other day on Twitter, another reason to be on Twitter, <laughs> that showed that a guy held up a Lowe's and stole a $500 air conditioner, and they just got 46 months. In my old office, by the way, in Las Cruces, just before I showed up there, that was the case. They took it from the locals because it was a local robbery. It was an armed robbery of a Lowe's hardware store. What on, the, on earth are we doing with the federal government that's involved in that when we know that that's not what it's supposed to What they're going to say is, is that the interstate commerce is that that, that um, AC unit was made somewhere else. And since it was brought in, that's part of interstate commerce now. It's BS. One of the key facets of the Safe Streets Task Force is the enterprise theory of investigation. That's one of our enemies right there. The enterprise theory, which is to say that uh, street-level enforcement also needs sophisticated techniques like consensual monitoring, financial analysis, Title III wire intercepts, etc. So they can go after the gangs. They can go after the federal racketeering and drug conspiracy and firearms investigations. What they really do is they lazily pick up just basic cases. They take basic cases that local cops work their butts off on, solve, and then the FBI takes the credit for it later. It's a trap. You're trying to trade some safety for some convenience. It don't work. It's not the way that we operate here. It's not the way that it should operate. All right. Uh, all of that being said, I think I think we are seeing a, a fantastic swing backwards towards what needs to happen, tacking towards the middle, and we'll see how far it goes, of the state saying, you played the card, you played this one too far. Having the Border Patrol be sandwich hander-outers and people that uh, lift up the barbed wire that is set up by a sovereign state that is like, this, our states have a certain amount of sovereignty and they should be at least able to handle things within their own boundaries. And even if that just means they pull back off federal land and they just stop and it's like, cool, now we're going to just trap every single CBP agent out there too. You guys can go swim the damn river back. Something needs to happen. And we're at that break point right now. 2024 is going to be lit. That's why we're going to get some on-the-ground coverage. Again, that's why Mark Naughton and I are going to start working this thing together. I think you guys are going to see some really, really unhinged, you know, re-screaming to the sky. And uh, where is it going to happen? It's going to happen in Philly, like we just read an article from. It's going to happen in New York. It's going to happen in Washington, D.C. All those are with striking distance. So when things break, we're going to start actually live-streaming them. Again, another plug, if you guys are not following this channel... Hit the follow button here on Rumble. If you're watching anywhere else, let's see who's out there. You got some people on Twitter. We got some people on YouTube. Come over to Rumble. Join us on Rumble. You can even just do it on the website. Get an account on there so you can join the live chat, which you now have to put in almost slow mode because it goes so fast. We're getting more and more people in there. And sign up with the follow. If you want to subscribe, it's five bucks a month. You can add five bucks into our coffers. We're going to use all this stuff. Like I said, we're funding it out of our pocket here to go to Mark so we can make sure that he's on the ground and we're making sure he's not sleeping on the street bench or that he's not sleeping in a truck somewhere. I'm going to try to make sure that this thing is not uh, a horrific burden on the man. But he wants to go out there and see this uh, this world and bring you guys unvarnished news. And we're going to do it without a break. So I hope you guys will. I hope you guys will subscribe and follow to this channel. You can go hit the like button. Here it is right there. If you're watching right now, make sure you're hitting the like button. That's my favorite. I love this little icon. Um, do that. Let's go ahead and do a little bit of dad jokes. I don't want to leave you guys going into the weekend without a little bit of amusement. So here's a couple minutes, a little lighthearted thing as you start your Friday, getting into the weekend. Let's rock and roll. Here we go. Okay. Hey. Hey, good to see you. How are you? Oh, wait a second. Hold on, turn that off. Um, what are you doing? What's up, go ahead. Yeah, come on. 
What do you got? What do mermaids wash their fins with? <laughs> Tide. The first part was funnier. You should have never thrown the punchline. That was terrible. Did you know in King Arthur's time, one of the knights of the round table collected taxes? His name was Surcharge. Yeah. <laughs> Top that. What did the fried rice say to the shrimp? Fry your rice. Don't walk away from me. <laughs> Is that what it says? Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. Did you hear Steve Harvey and his wife got into a fight? <laughs> That's not real, is it? Yeah. It was a family feud. <laughs> Did you hear about the superhero with a lisp that always worked out? <laughs> He's Thor. <laughs> Bad ending again. Right, what are you talking? How can you not? Uh, what kind of setup? car does an egg drive? A Jokwagen. What? A Jokwagen. There you go. All right, so that's that's a little bit of a taste. You guys can find those. Those are all on YouTube and stuff. Uh, we need to get more content over here on Rumble, so somebody needs to start putting some dad jokes on here, and I'll steal them from Rumble, too. We'll just give you guys just a little taste of something that's not so bad. How about another thing that's not so bad? Let's do a five-star review. All of you guys that are giving us the five-star reviews over on Apple, you guys can see the link is in the description of the show, and we appreciate it if you guys will do that. We read them on the show. And here is one just like this one from KC5635 says... So good in so many ways. I found Cal Serafin when he sat in for Dinesh D'Souza, and I love the people and the topics he brought. He makes the show fun, but in a direct and to-the-point way. His guests are relatable, knowledgeable, and their fierceness on standing up for what's right is inspiring. Thank you all for your loyalty to this country and in doing all you can to inform us. God bless. Kelly Campbell. Oh, KC is Kelly Campbell. Well, Kelly Campbell, thanks so much for watching. I'm glad that you enjoyed that. I'm going to actually be guest hosting Dinesh D'Souza's podcast a couple more times, probably in the next... Uh, couple months so you know watch both we'll be there i've got some cool guests for his his format's a little different than mine they do a uh a taping before they run the live version of it and uh, give us some other opportunities also later on today which i got to get up to in just a minute i got to break away from this i'm going to be interviewing mark Hout. we're going to put that on tape we're going to be able to hold that on it you guys are going to hear my vote for catholic hero of the year coming up very very soon and we very much appreciate all of you guys following our channel god bless oh before we know there it is the merch store don't forget it Somebody said you have to say Ranger Panties once a day. I'll say it. There it is, the Ranger Panties, 25 bucks. They're still available. Get on them. If you haven't felt Ranger Panties, you don't know what freedom are. You don't know what freedom is. Thighs out, sky's out. That's the that's the cheer. And you guys can catch the last of the hoodies. I think the hats are mostly gone. The pins are still available. And uh, Owen Schroyer sporting one. I wear one every time I go somewhere. You guys can get a suspendables pin. You can get three of them for like 30 bucks. So add three to your cart. And, uh, and you can also use the promo code KYLE, which saves you 10% there. Uh, it's just... Garrett O'Boyle's thing. There's no money in this for us. We just go ahead and promote Garrett because we like him working so he's not just raging. Uh, thanks so much, all of you, for joining us today. We really do appreciate it. I will see you guys after weekend. I hope you have a lovely weekend. Be very safe. God bless you, and we'll see you quite soon. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.